0: All right. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to episode six. I can't believe we're already on. We did the whole wellness series. Now we're on episode six. So interview six. So we're doing this is episode six of our wellness advocate series. So if you tuned in last week or if you didn't last week, we talked with Kira Walsh about mindset and how she's a motivator for growth and change, excuse me, and change in her professional life. So Today, we welcome Megan Cook, and we will be talking about the topic of normalizing and highlighting the importance of helpers getting support, too, so therapists, and why it can be super important and helpful for us to get therapy to ourselves. Um, Megan, thank you so much for being here, and if you don't mind, just kind of a brief introduction about yourself, including your background, um, current roles, just in the mental health and wellness arena.
1: Okay. Yes, thank you um, both for having me. I was really excited uh, to be here today to talk about this topic because it's such an important topic, and um, I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, So um, I'm really excited. Um, My name is Megan Cook. I'm a licensed independent social worker with a supervisory credential and also a licensed independent chemical um, dependency counselor. Um, I've been in the field of social work for about 10 years. Um, My primary work has been in the um, community corrections um, area, um, where I provide um, alcohol and drug treatment. Um, We've evolved to even, of course, include mental health treatment, um, those types of things. Um, But I started out as a a counselor, a clinician, um, doing intensive outpatient treatment. individual counseling assessments, and then I moved um, gradually um, where I've been into more of a leadership type of role. So now I provide clinical and administrative supervision, um, as well as some training supervision. And I do, uh, evolving with the times and what's going on in the world, I do provide um, part-time um, contract work telehealth uh, uh, therapy to uh, clients. Uh, medical. All things. I love you. Yeah. So... Um, so that's my primary work, and so I've definitely um had my share of experience and and just um knowing when to know myself and when I need to reach out for help and um, being aware of uh you know um, when I'm leaving myself vulnerable when I'm putting myself in a place where um, I might not be able to meet my clients' needs if I'm not able to um function uh correctly myself so uh so that's definitely been. Uh, something I've learned over the years is that you need to take care of yourself first if you're going to take care of your clients. So.
2: Yes. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, you kind of provide supervision, which is amazing. Megan was like my first supervisor. Well, not, Megan was my first like clinical supervisor. So we've come so no. far since then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and how do you think that supervision specifically has changed of your clinicians since COVID?
1: Oh, wow. And this is something as I, when I was thinking about this podcast and I was kind of jotting some things down and so much, um, I didn't think at first initially there, you know, I was like, okay, there'd be a couple maybe changes here or there, but as I kind of got to writing and thinking about it, it's changed a lot. I mean, first and foremost, telehealth, um, you were providing telehealth therapy before it was very limited. We didn't, um, we didn't have you know, kind of the protocol and procedures put into place to do telehealth, clinicians weren't necessarily trained on that. Uh, So um, telehealth, uh, for sure. So um, not only was it like, you know, how it just happened, like, like in a week, you know, it was like everything's shutting down. And so for us, um, for myself, it it was really, you know, kind of just taking the time um, to take a few deep breaths and realize that, nobody really knows what's going on. We're all gonna be learning and growing together in this. And so I had to kind of disperse that and really work with my clinicians to understand that, that, okay, we're gonna get you in some trainings. We're going to walk with you through this different, um, through these challenges, through these, uh, this experience. Because a lot of them were a little bit fearful of what is telehealth? I, they don't, they didn't really do it much before. So we did some trainings with them, um, You know, just more hands-on um, trying to get them comfortable, um, so some ongoing observations and things like that that we did, and we talked about, and there's a protocol we had to establish with etiquette, telehealth etiquette, how do you communicate, uh, to your clients, um, what we're doing, so first of all, I had to, we as clinicians had to understand telehealth, the telehealth etiquette, and then you're learning, and then you're trying to teach the clients, and, uh, that's a challenge within, within itself too. Tons of you know fun, uh, funny stories uh, <laughs> with learning through this. Um, yeah, I and think I'm sure you... have
0: a whole episode on something like
1: that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You know, but Megan, you're... you
2: could have joined us from from the toilet today, right? Yeah, would have been I could have done that.
1: Put a little background <laughs> in the back. I mean, maybe you know, right. get a little uh, the uh, you know, with like in a forest or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know but. but Oh, yeah, I've heard those stories too. Like you said, Amanda, the, uh, it's funny. Yeah, clients we've had, you know, in Walmart. Grocery shopping. Oh, yeah. Laying in their beds with the, with, yeah, you can, you know, your imagination. Um, you know, even in meetings, like even, even in um, different work meetings I've been in, there's been a couple situations where, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for a couple of people. I was like, oh, make sure you, you know, your camera's on. So, yeah, this has been a, a definitely with our client and our, our population. It's been a challenge because there are some clients that I work with that, you know, they're not appropriate. You wouldn't normally have them be appropriate for telehealth. And and so again, yeah, it's like teaching and, and just trying to navigate through all of that is how do we adjust and modify our practices to best meet the client's needs. It's better than nothing. Um, not giving them any treatment. So, um, you know, we had to adjust and modify things. And so definitely um, the first point there uh, with how supervision has changed is definitely the telehealth and, um, and all of that. So some, some funny situations uh, for sure that have happened. Um, so as I kind of mentioned to kind of piggyback off that, protocols and procedures, you know, um, had to change. We had to be flexible. Uh, we had to make sure we were being more flexible. To again meet the clients' needs, um, even the clinicians—they um, had childcare at home. There was, you know, different problems. You know, people that were high risk and um, susceptible um, to COVID. So again, trying to navigate through changing some protocols, procedures, being flexible and allowing and being accepting of that—that that it's not going to be ran and structured the way that it was before. We have to we have to adjust. Um, so definitely, uh, protocols and procedures um, needed to change uh, if, for that. Um, and of course, I you know I have to mention this you know the increased anxiety um, of masks, no masks, masks, gloves, no gloves. Because in the beginning, we didn't have a protocol again into place. It was just we're working from home. Um, you know. We're not going to be doing in-person counseling anymore. We can't do that. We're, st- you know, we're, we don't know what to do with that. Um, so again, with the wine and listening to that, being aware of what's going on and knowing how do we change our pro- our protocols and procedures based on what was going on in the world. So that fear and that anxiety of what's going to be, what's going to change tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow, um, and so that that was definitely a challenge as well for me. And again, being a supervisor. You got to kind of got to have your own. You know, you have to be able to. It's. I don't know. I think it's kind of like. I. I hate to. You know, kind of reference it to like being a parent. You know, you have to be the one in control, because if you're if you're not um, in not if you're not in control, or if you don't have um, if you're not able to manage your own emotions and your way of coping with what's going on in the situation, that's going to feed off your staff. That's going to feed off you know your kids. So it's really important that I had to be very self-aware. In, in their feelings of just being more cognizant of how are they doing? Um, let me check in with them more. What are, what are they doing for self-care? So I had to increase the amount of times we met. We usually do group supervision each Monday and um, I increased that to two times a week there for a while because of all the different changes that were happening so rapidly. Um, it, it was just so many questions all the time. And so again, I had to kind of manage my own emotions and anxiety to really just take a deep breath and say, okay, yeah, let me look into that. Let me, let me figure that out. Let me modify that. Let me see what we can do in this area. <clears throat> so i um, definitely the increased anxiety and in, in managing not only my own emotions, but trying to navigate and work with my staffs as well um, was challenging. Uh, definitely for sure, because there was moments where, you know, they want the answer now and I get that. And that's part of that anxiety. So, um, we did, we talked a lot about self-care and what they were doing for themselves. Um, and again, increasing activities we did together as a, as a team, we would do lunches together just to debrief and, you know, not talk really and just about COVID, just kind of just talk about what we did on our weekends, what we want to do, how we're doing <clears throat> things like that. So. Megan
2: on that topic of feelings, I have an additional question that I didn't plan for. Um, but I'm, we're, we're going to make the audience wait. And when we come back from this break, we're going to talk a little bit about, more about feelings, okay? All right. All right. So, Megan, when you were talking about um the heightened emotions, the heightened anxiety, all of those things, not only you, your clinicians, the clients, it all kind of feeds together. Mm-hmm. How do you go about doing that in a supervisor role? I've really seen personally this shift um in generations of where it was, you know, you were taught supervision is work related. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about personal life. Oh, you have personal stuff going on. Do you need to take time off? Yes. Do we need to cover your clients? Right? It was very yeah. administrative. Yeah. And
0: yeah. wrong with us because we have our own emotions.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. So how have you balanced whatever that expectation organizationally or, you know, built into you of just just stay focused on the job and really allowing people that you supervise to come to you with their emotions and their vulnerabilities without, I guess, crossing over any boundaries?
1: Sure. And that is definitely a good question because I experienced that so often throughout that beginning months where you did, um, first of all, having a good relationship and rapport with my staff, um, having those boundaries and in incorporating that throughout our time together in, in supervision. So I've already kind of done that legwork prior to COVID and that and throughout when I'm meeting with staff um, to, to let them know they kind of understand that boundary because we've talked about it. However, in this situation, like you said, it's it's challenging. I have to shift my mindset and my my focus. I, I never ask I, I won't ask more details than a clinician will provide to me, but if they've provided me information, I might check in on that. Or I, So I, I don't ever cross that line where I feel like, well, tell me about this, that, and the other, unless they've already said something to me about it. Um, so I, I try to balance it and normalize it. I mean, I think, you know, just with COVID normalizing, this is a change, this is different. Um, we're all experiencing it. Um, it's something we all can relate to. Um, so, um, just kind of focusing objectively a little bit more on, um, on what is going on in the world and, and normalizing, again, we're all experiencing anxiety. And again, they, they voice that stuff to me too, um, in the supervisions and, you know, about their work and their productivity, you know, what are we going to do? Like, how do we do this? And so I worked with them. Um, one thing that we had to do was because we dropped off the groups, this was a huge challenge for us. Um, how do we continue to produce revenue and operate a business when we don't have clients coming in to do groups anymore. So again, it was a very tra- a challenging balance for me because my human side is, in our agency, we did a really good job of um, really, um, again, walking through that with uh, staff Um, But that was a really hard challenge because, yeah, you do need to still make revenue and keep us operating. So we don't have furloughs and we don't have layoffs. And so I had to gently communicate that information to them that I'm here to support you. I'm going to work with you through this. I even took on a caseload and productivity during a little bit, not during the height of the heightness of the COVID, but kind of once we got more things balanced and figured out. Um, But I just walked with them, like, for example, just showing them different, we talked about different counseling techniques and um, different interventions to do with clients to, um So we could have more individual sessions because again, we couldn't do group anymore. So kind of, and then being positive, this is a good thing. We can now meet our clients more individually, more often. Um, mm-hmm. So again, trying to balance, okay, we still need to attempt to make revenue if we are able to in, in light of all this but at the same time i'm going to be here with you i'm going to support you i'm going to teach you um, and um, i'm going to take on some of that too um, you know because we're all going to be responsible for that so it's a good question because that was probably the most anxiety i had through COVID. was you know yes we were flexible we reduced some things we took some things off the table for them um, for my for all of us to do that but Uh, At the end of the day, you know, we need to keep the lights on. We need to not, we don't want to furlough people. We didn't want to lay off people. So um, I tried to gently communicate that to them too, that, um, you know, let's make this positive. We can meet with our clients more individually and give them that attention they need via telehealth. It's more flexible for the clients and comfortable for them and try to make a a positive out of such a.
0: Protecting that mindset and creating that environment in the workplace. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, all right. So the topic of today is why does a therapist need therapy too? I want, I don't want like, I don't want it to be such in a box. Right. So I, I would say just even any helping profession, if you're on the front lines right now, I don't know, even if you're, you know, you're doing it somewhere, like, mm-hmm. I think we could even expand this to why everybody needs therapy, but I know we're talking about why therapists need therapy too, so let's hone in on that. Like, why do you think helping professions in general should be seeking therapy?
1: I mean, just the conversation we just had, you know, with all of the constant changes that are happening in the world, Um, you know, so for a few things, you know, of course our own work. So I start there, I kind of, the reason that we need therapy is Is let's just start there. What we do is uh, for a living is so tough and so challenging and so mentally draining. Um, So we talk about some um, clinicians and individuals in general are kind of maybe familiar with maybe secondary trauma. Um, You know, so a lot of what we do in our professions is taking on some of that, um, some of that trauma or some of that burden secondary. So meaning, um, when I'm working with a client, they're throwing everything that they've been experience in their life that's been traumatic onto me. And so I'm taking that on now. And um, over time, if you're not monitoring that, or if you're not taking care of, um, maybe, you know, that progressiveness of experiencing feelings of maybe depression or hopelessness or sad because you can't maybe help your client out of those situations you know we do we do interventions we give suggestions we might give them feedback but at the end of the day it's their life and if they don't make those changes and use the tools that we provide them they you know um they could continue to um progress in their sick their illness and and what's going on with them mentally so i think sometimes um when we're so involved with a client, you build that relationship, that therapeutic alliance with a client, that secondary trauma does happen because you have such a good, strong relationship therapeutically with that client. So you're taking that on and you're wanting to see them succeed so badly that over time, you kind of start to see that a little bit with um, the secondary trauma. And then second, um, secondly, um, of course, along with that, because I might be extending myself, I might also then have some compassion fatigue. Um, you know, situations might start to look similar to me, or I might just kind of lose a little bit of that empathy um, that I might have because I do it every day. Um, so a little bit of compassion fatigue might happen. And then, of course, um, what we know most best in our field is burnout. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when I'm extending myself so much and I'm trying to help and, uh, again, taking on all of that where if I see a person's, not taking those tools, resources, information and feedback. I'm again, I'm, I'm feeling like that hopelessness almost or I might feel um, just anxiety or, you know, some of the stress and and so um, I think definitely over time, the job, and as you as you mentioned, and any job, it, it takes a toll on you, what you do day in and day out. Um, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't check in with yourself and do something, um, you know, then yeah it's, uh, no matter where you're at, like you mentioned, you're going to need some, you might need some help to navigate through those uh, feelings and emotions that you're experiencing from your job, Um, but that's only just from your job.
2: (laughs) Well, I want to say, it sounds like you still have more, but I do want to say, and Mm -hmm. we aren't just born with a package of skills ready to handle this, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: right? Like we learn algebra and we learn how to read and spell and write and all these fantastic things, but no one says, this is what sadness feels like. And this is how we let it visit and then move on. And this is how we cope. And this is, this is how we effectively communicate. And this is how we set boundaries with our coworkers, right? Like we aren't inherently Mm -hmm. innately born with those skills. So, if you don't have it, it's not a failure on your a moral failure on your part, but you know mm-hmm. recognizing that and then saying, okay, where do I go to get that support?
1: Yeah. No, and I agree. You know, and and I think it's always assumed, especially in our field, oh, um, and I was kind of bringing this up too. Doctors can't perform surgery on themselves. Dentists can't work on themselves. Just like clinicians, we can't work on ourselves, even though we have insight. Yes, we have really good insight mm-hmm. um, into human behavior and and um, and that, um, but. You know, there's that there there's that benefit and outside perspective and outside insight and feedback um, that is so, so important, like you're mentioning. We might have all the insight in the world, but you know, just like I just mentioned before, you you need that support and that feedback to step outside it's bias or bias on our, our lives. And um, I don't know how many times I've probably um, I might have insight on a situation, but I minimize it. Oh, it's not that big because I work with clients that have, yeah. in my you know, view, a lot more problems than I do. But in reality, it's my problem and I I shouldn't minimize that. And that's that self-awareness piece of realizing, okay, when I because I'm minimizing, I'm not getting the help that I need, and even though I need it. Or, <clears throat> or um, oh, I'm a clinician, I'm a counselor, I'm a therapist, I shouldn't have these problems. I'll be fine, you know. So again, you're just kind of minimizing or justifying why you don't need treatment oh they're just gonna they're just gonna tell me the same thing I tell my clients so it's about changing our perspectives too. that again going back to a doctor can't work on themselves for certain you know we have our own bias and we need that outside perspective um, to be able to stay objective um, really
0: checking our own expectations and we help others unravel how different aspects of their life are affecting them So, like you said, like having an outside perspective for ourselves can make us better therapists for our clients. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. Megan, what, what tips or would you offer other mental health professionals who are looking for a good fit therapist for themselves, you know? Yeah,
2: because I think a lot of people are like, but
0: I mean, even me personally,
2: when I was looking, I'm like, have I ever met them? Have I worked with them? Did they ever do a Mm -hmm. training I was in? Like. It's so so. hard. And then that's another fear that blocks people. And they're like, never mind, I don't need to.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before I go there, I just wanted to mention the two other areas that I felt um, with um, why therapists need therapy, because I think it's so important is we only not just have our jobs, but now uh, you know, COVID has enhanced and exacerbated, um, you know, the <clears throat> our problems and our emotions, but also our own home life problems, too, that I just wanted to quickly say would be another reason um, to look into it, because not only do you have COVID and the changes at work and the problems at work, but um, then you add your own life problems, you know with finances family relationships and and so again, if we're not meant if we're not you know, take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others so um how you know it's a struggle, but to your point with the tips, yeah, like you said minute it and when I was looking for one too it um and again it was it was just again, you know, were taught in school you know they they tell us in school and and it and you, you, you think about it, you kind of put it in your back pocket, like, okay, they say to do that, you know, but, you, but I think it's not until you gain the experience and you're in the field that you realize, oh, wow, they they were right all along, <laughs> like, you really need to see yourself, so, um so tips, um, first of all, um first of all, I think it starts with um, looking at what you're wanting in a therapist, and checking yourself, so what I mean by that is, I'm going to be transparent with myself and genuine when I say, going into my first therapy session or going into my therapist session, I was kind of they' a little bit of an ego almost I mean, and I'm going to be honest about that. there's a little bit of that ego where you go in and you're like, Who's going to be taking care of me today an experienced social worker yeah but so it's like checking yourself at the door and realizing that you're not in your professional role. you are a human being and you need help, you need somebody to talk to and so First, checking your ego out the door and not, and going into that, that session or wherever, you know, I'll get to some more tips here in a second, but just going into that session being open-minded, positive, positive. Um, and again, your agenda there as a human, you're there as a human needing, you know, needing some assistance. So d- just checking your ego. I'm not going in there to evaluate this person. <laughs> that was my issue, I'll be honest, you that was the problem going in at first, is I had to continuously remind myself, yeah, I had to continuously remind myself that, Megan, you're not here to do a performance observation, because in my clinical <laughs> supervising role, I'm, I go into therapy sessions with my clinicians all the time, and I'm evaluating their intervention, their technique, their MI skills, so it's like I had to check myself going in, because I'm like, no, this is not what I'm here for, <laughs> so it was like, so it took me a little bit of time in the first session, I won't lie, I, I got home, and I was telling my my husband about it, and he's like, Megan, he's <laughs> like, you, you're not there to be her supervisor, okay? And we're and at home so,
0: watching Netflix, and, like, we see a therapist on a shuttle, and we're, you're cr- watching what they're doing, or,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that was, that's exactly, like, what happened, I was like, John, you, know, cool. you don't believe it, you know, and he's like, He's like, Megan, what are you doing?
2: <laughs> I think that's so human though, because I've told my husband before, cause I get naggy, but it's really out of love from all, everything yeah. I know in my brain about mm-hmm. mental health. So I've even told him, it's like, hey, you know, IT like the back of your hand. So if I had said, hey, honey, I'm going to do this thing on my computer and it was going to like blow it up, you couldn't keep that information from me. You just put it all aside, like, you know, it's hard to turn that off. So I appreciate that you brought that up because, you know, same thing for me, like my first session, I'm like, yeah, thanks for reflecting exactly what I just said, <laughs> you know, and so it's reflection. Really, <laughs> right, you know, and so, and so I was starting to find myself spiraling out of that, like, she's not even gonna be able to help me. See, why did I even bother? And then I'm like, Amanda, it's the first appointment. Stop
1: yeah oh no I love that I love that again this is why I love these two these conversations I love talking to friends and peers and colleagues because we can relate so much to it and Mm -hmm. relate so much to those feelings because you know I did feel kind of you know kind of guilty about that having those feelings like going in like I need to not have this ego going in but I have this ego going in and and so um, it's nice to be able to kind of relate and talk to others. I kind of ex- experience that too. Yeah. Cause like you said, it's like any other profession you go in and if you're like a doctor, I mean, I know, you know, I have some friends that are in the medical field and they'll do the same thing sometimes. Oh, I went to the doctor and, you know, so I think it's just a, a basic human response sometimes yeah. to that, but something to be very uh, aware of, I think. So that's, it's just um, something that I wanted to say because um, I think it's so, so important. You have to, but like you said, that was your first session. Even for me, it was like my first session. I was I had to Nope. Give it a couple, give it more sessions, you know? So that kind of brings me to my next point. And my next tip is of course you want to find a good fit. You know, you want to find a good fit. Somebody that you, um, that have, you know, can align with your um, what you're seeking out, what you're looking for, what problems you're trying to target in treatment. Um, so you know, going maybe going to someone that has more experience with children might not be what I'm looking for if I'm wanting to cope with my anxiety or my stress or, you know, some of these other issues. So, again, yeah, you do definitely want to find somebody that aligns with what you're looking for to target your problems or your issues. Um, even different agencies, like um, there are some agencies or private practices, you know, it just depends on, you know, um, there's some agencies that are more like aligned with, um, like faith, spirituality. Um, so those might be some places that you want to go, or yeah, more of like a private practice, and and so of course knowing what you're you're wanting to get into, but. Giving it a chance and being open minded. And so that's why I say give it about two or three sessions, because the first session is going to be an assessment. You know, they're going to have to ask you a variety of questions to even target what you might need, diagnosis of those kind of things if there's um, one there. Um, But then. Yeah, it's not rapport building. Yeah, no, not at all. Yes.
0: And gathering.
1: Yes, Yeah, you're really just trying to gather information. Then the second session is more, now you're developing your goals, your treatment plan. So again, you're really not getting to the meat and potatoes of what you're really wanting to target. So that's why I say, I think by session three or four, um, you do get to know that, see the personality and the style type. You know, um, I know for me, you know, I want somebody that's laid back that, you know, I don't want to feel like it's a robotic session, and you know and that. So, um, so in my experience, I've kind of been able to observe both. Um, you know, I uh, one was, and again, she did have a little bit more experience. So I think maybe as maybe an experienced clinician, that might be, but that's not always the case. it could be somebody new in the field. So I don't want to say, oh, because you're a therapist, you need to go to somebody experienced. I think it's just based on your level um, of counselor, or you know where you're at and um, your experience. I know for me, in just having both. I prefer more of an experienced person, um, just because with the other, the other one I kind of felt it was more robotic. Um, I felt that it was more and not as genuine, But I I understand that person is probably learning or whatever's going on. So again, my my uh, evaluation. So you know, so I got to stop there. But um, but again, I mean, I think for me, I was looking at you know, am I comfortable talking to this person? Do I feel like I'm going to get what I need? And just in the approaches. I could tell, you know, what I was more comfortable with and what I liked a little bit more. And it was, and again, I, I probably do need more experiences in getting it, you know, in seeking therapy and, and having counselors see that. So, uh, but I don't know. So that, that's what I would say would definitely be, you wanna be with somebody you're comfortable with. So be open-minded and give it a couple of sessions, you know, three, four sessions to really see, is this something that can um, help you? And of course, finances, you know, is another one. Um, You have to look at your financial situation, what's covered by insurance, uh, those kind of things. Um,
2: I was going to say, just as a response to that, Megan, it's funny because you kind of like know what you want in your head. Like I always say, like, I would never see anyone other than a social worker because... I'm a social worker and I hang out with social workers and I really like us. Okay. And then, you know, I ended up with somebody that's not a social Mm -hmm. worker at all. She's an MFD and she, you know, has her doctorate. And for what I needed at the time, her Mm -hmm. bio and her experience fits me. Mm -hmm. So I'll say like, to that point, be flexible. Like you might have a certain image in your mind, but don't just discount people because of one quick, you know, decision.
0: I think it could be helpful to sit down and write just like a, a list, like, you know, on your gut instincts of what, like, qualities, and maybe Mm -hmm. less about qualification, but about, you know, qualities, and, or specialties, and, and that kind of stuff could be helpful to just get it out of our own head.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I like that, because my two experiences, my experiences have been with uh, LPCs. Um, so, like you said, it wasn't with a social worker, so, yeah, um I like that you say that, you know, and and it's just about being open minded and realizing we're humans and we're what we're looking for, um, you know, is to get that help, and hopefully you'll find that person that you get that therapeutic alliance with and you feel comfortable um, enough but I like what you said too Kelsey I mean yeah just sitting down and writing out what do I want you know what am I looking for in a clinician and um, what's going to make me feel comfortable sharing because it's it's a lot of personal you know information and um, and, you know therapy so uh, so yeah just don't not settling um, for that so um, but that would be some tips I would say I've also been reading this as I don't know if you've um, ever heard of her, uh, Lori Gottlieb. Got Gottlieb. I don't know if you say her name. It's a maybe you should talk to someone. Oh
0: my gosh, I've been seeing that everywhere. I need it apparently.
1: Mm-hmm. It's great though. No, it's I've been um, I'm almost done reading it, and um, it's just it it just it's just normalizing it for us, and it it makes so much sense to me. She's funny. She talks about different scenarios, experiences the ego um, part of it too, um, and so that helped me in processing. Um, you know that but it's it's a good book uh, for sure and I think another tip just doing your research you know would be, be that but kind of plug that book in there because it's it's a oh, good one.
0: I was hearing about it so it's good to talk to somebody like I've been seeing on Facebook groups or you know stuff like that as like a suggested read so it's like oh, I should do that but thank yes. you and we'll put that uh, you know down in our link and stuff in our show notes so that way if other people you know whether you're helping professionals or not you know we like to put any resources that our guests mention so Mm -hmm. yes um did you have any other tips or anything or even just you know just thank you in general and any more tips or just comments or advice for our followers and viewers
1: yeah, so I just had like one last thing that I was thinking of, um, you know, when it comes to being a therapist and thinking about, you know, why we need therapy as well and things to just kind of be aware of, um, you know, as we're working with clients and kind of check in on. Um, I look at this sometimes as my personality strengths sometimes are my weaknesses as well. And so I think things do not leave yourself vulnerable. So that's the only thing I had left that I wanted to just briefly mention um, you know, so my personality strengths, so just for example, is I'm very, I'm easygoing, I can be fun, I'm energetic, um, you know, I'm very um, approachable, those kind of things, but it does leave me to be vulnerable because you just have to be aware of, okay, my, that boundary. Um, You know, so those could be things that could be creating problems for you at work as if you're not establishing and checking in with those um, those positive strengths. So, you know, my easygoing personality could sometimes be taken as um, passive. So maybe somebody would try to um, take advantage of me or um, and those kind of things. could do that humor you know could is my defense mechanism to be honest it's some one of my strengths but it's also a defense mechanism so not um, being aware not to laugh things off and you know to take it to take it seriously and and those things so yeah I would just say that would be my last thing is just being aware that your personality strengths you know can leave you vulnerable but also needing to have boundaries being able to communicate and self-care I think are all things just other tips that can help you um, as a clinician, um, just check in on, are you hitting those those um, those areas? If you've got boundaries, okay. But if you're starting to see those that are becoming rigid, they're becoming passive, you might need therapy. No. Um, Too much
2: of a good thing, black and white thinking, comparing yes. yourself to others, right? All those unhelpful thinking yes. habits that no one teaches us until you go to therapy.
0: perspective, you know, as if we would seek therapy or, you know, mm-hmm. I think that ties Perfectly into the topic of uh, th- having our own helper can mm-hmm. help us recognize those things more so than, you yes. know, we walk around and we don't necessarily have that perception of ourselves that somebody else does. Yes.
2: And it has a ripple effect into
1: your workplace,
2: your coworkers, your supervisees, your family, your community. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so I like to call those your protective factors. At work, yes, yes. yes. so yeah, if you have boundaries, like you mentioned, good communication, you have good self-care, good support um, around you, and you have that self-awareness, um, those can all be things that I think are, are protective factors as clinicians. And if you see one of those areas sliding, might be time for some therapy. That's I love
2: that, I you love should like, write a book about on, on protective it. factors for <laughs> right
1: therapists.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Megan, for joining us and talking uh, talking about a topic that you know sometimes can be taboo and you know just in general for us it's like therapists I feel like sometimes we have these expectations of ourselves or others have these expectations of our of us as professionals and you know we're supposed to know how to handle our own problems everybody's problems all of that stuff Mm -hmm. so I like breaking it down and thank you for Joining us to
1: do that. I wanted to say one um, the where you can find a therapist too. I don't know um, if the, I've done this for like a lot of clients too. The SAMSHA website. So I think that's the substance abuse mental health. What am I missing there? Uh, SAMSHA. I got it. Yeah. We'll link it. <laughs> yes, link it because um, it, no matter where you're at, and you, um, I think it's after the United States wherever you type in where you live and your address, it will come up with a bunch of different residential programs, substance use programs, intensive outpatient programs, bunch of different treatment uh, agencies in your area. So, um, you know, it's a really easy way if I'm trying to find counseling, I just type in that sanction and it will tell you within miles where a place is located or if they provide telehealth, all those things.
0: I I should have known that. I go to them for all kinds of things, but I never knew they had a directory like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just thanks everyone, listeners, viewers, for joining us today. Make sure you tune in next week because we'll be chatting with Jenna. She is a licensed professional counselor, a trauma specialist, and an art therapist. So she uses art and mindfulness as a big foundation for her wellness work. So that's what we'll be tuning in for next week the topic so but thank you Megan so much for joining us and talking about such an important topic
2: thank you for having me as well thanks Megan and everyone I'm gonna put my little plug don't forget to like comment and subscribe if you don't subscribe you won't know when the next episode's coming out
0: we are like we're booking like crazy we're out into 2021 and just bringing all the people share
2: all the wellness
0: information all right guys
2: we'll see you next week